Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassman from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, please give us that five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, please subscribe today to get the latest notifications on when we go live on the air with the latest Pop Culture Cosmos, the PCC Multiverse, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, the State of Pro Wrestling, Tabletop RPG Action, and more. So go ahead and please subscribe today on YouTube or like our page on Facebook so you get the latest news there on what's going on in the world of entertainment and pop culture right here from all of us at the Pop Culture Cosmos. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend of everything humanican media, Pop Culture Cosmos, and of course, the Happy Hoarder. You got to go ahead and check out what he has, what he is doing today at the Happy Hoarder at happyhoardercollectibles.com. It is the man, the myth, the legend. Like I said, Josh Peterson and Josh, great to have you back. I know I had some issues last week and you filled in nicely with a great interview. Just truly appreciate you going ahead and flowing me over that awesome interview to bail me out once again. Happy to do so. Plus, I, I I said that it would play eventually on the Pop Culture Cosmos, and uh, now I finally have fulfilled my promise. There you go. <laughs> that eventually came in quite nicely. Thank you very much. So, yes. Absolutely. Uh, yes, once again, please check out the Happy Hoarders. Great site. Anything new, interesting at happyhoardercollectibles.com before we get underway? No, no we're... Um... Let's see. Haven't really. I'm waiting. So a lot of the and I don't know how many other places are are experiencing this, but a lot of stuff I'm supposed to be getting shipped to me has been like caught in you know warehouse and distribution issues and things like that. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, this week or next week I'll end up with a uh, like a ton of new things to talk about. But for right now, uh, you know, we got some cool Funko Pops, got some Demon Slayer Funko Pop Chase editions in. So check that out on the website. Should be up soon. You know, we got some Pokemon cards, too. So if you got to catch them all, catch them on the happyhoardercollectibles.com. Absolutely. And this weekend was, and I warned everybody ahead of time, National Cinema Day, had a chance to catch Oppenheimer. It is well worth the watch. Uh, my wife did call me and asked me, well, did you think it was fun? And the idea of fun and watching Oppenheimer are not exactly going together. It's just a well-made movie, a well-acted movie, well-constructed, chronicling the life and all the mystery and all the intrigue and all the backstabbing and all the subversion and all the things that went into Oppenheimer's complicated life. But it is something that I think that people should go out of their way to watch. Some people have called him the most important individual in human history. And the reason why are outlined and explained both for and against that in regards to just the people that were working with him and the people that were working against him uh, chronicling throughout the entire movie it is well paced. I think it, it is, I think you have to put it up there with the dark Knight for Christopher Nolan, my friend, as some of his best work ever. 
So okay, so I, even though I really like Tenet more than most people, this this has to be better than Interstellar, which I know is a big favorite of yours as well. Yeah, I love I love Interstellar. Honestly, though, like I, I love anything Chris Nolan does. I've actually been using his stuff in a film class that I'm teaching. I've been using a lot of his stuff as like an example of how you know you break the the you you what am i trying to say you break the traditional types of storytelling and you make it like more non-traditional you move like your non-linear story ideas and you use music to kind of uh create more tension in the you know in the videos you're watching but uh with oppenheimer tell me though what do you have that traditional nolan like sound do you have the traditional nolan like storytelling the way like he moves from one scene to another, like he'll he'll intercut scenes. Do you have all that still, or is this just like a straightforward biopic? He does uh, inter actually intercut scenes into each other. And again, like I said, it's a time-hopping adventure, so to speak, as far as through Oppenheimer's life. Because he'll go from one part of his life, go back to an earlier part of his life, go back to a forward part of his life, go back to a period where he's actually constructing the bomb, go after as far as the consequence of it. It goes back and forth for the first two thirds of the film, then kind of settles down once the actual film gets to the major points as far as what he's done and what he's created or helped create. And, and then it goes, and then obviously the fallout, pardon the pun, from that, and basically goes ahead from there and it becomes a little bit more straightforward. Some things come to light. There is a little bit of a twist that happened in real life that is actually portrayed in the movie and I wasn't aware of that comes about and it just really affects the movie going forward for the rest of the way. But yeah, it is extremely well done. Uh, it does use some of his mannerisms that, you, that you've seen from Interstellar. Uh, yeah. Not Dark Knight. I don't think you could really as far as the style utilized there to there. I mean, because the Dark Knight, you know, great performances aside is a straightforward comic book movie. Right. Yeah. This was done more as far as going back and forth, like you're flipping pages back and forth in his life. And you yeah. went, oh, okay. You're looking forward at, at what happened after or before and then during, and it's going back and forth to try and, and weave a narrative story because it, it, the way it's told and the way it's uh, portrayed to Oppenheimer as far as, far as the, the persecutions against him and the, the backlash against him, it is also very well constructed as far as having to narrate itself going back and then going forward, back and forward, depending on where it needs to go. So the story flows extremely yeah. well and it's paced extremely well. I talked to you before the show that I don't like movies that overstay its welcome with scenes. There is no chance of that. Yes, I know this is a three-hour movie, but you don't feel it. There's always something stimulating you it's because it's everything is boom, new scene, boom, new scene, boom, new scene, boom, new scene. Just It just does not overstay its welcome at any point in time. Well, that's that's good. I mean, that's kind of what people uh, honestly like this was a movie that's kind of he's done his like historical stuff before, but nothing that's ever been focused on like one historical person or nothing that's been focused on like one particular person. So I was really curious how this movie was going to turn out. Was it going to be something that, you know, Chris Nolan's able to bring his art to, you know, kind of like what we 
experience watching Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, things like that? Or was this just going to be him talking about a guy's life? But it sounds like they did a good job not just capturing, you know, the Oppenheimer's life, but also, you know, what was going on in the world at the same time. And it's also kind of amazing that Oppenheimer has not been approached before because in many ways, as Christian, Christopher Nolan believes, he is the most important individual in human history. So you would think there'd be more out there on him, but yeah. we're going to be using this as a litmus test of what, whether or not some of it was fictionalized or, or spiked up for entertainment mm -hmm. purposes, what have you. This is going to be utilized in what we see in history books for Oppenheimer for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. And Greg, awesome. Awesome. You know, and I, I, I want to see this. I probably won't get a chance to watch it till it comes out, but, uh, what what was all the, like the the controversy? Something involving like the them like uh, putting computer animated nudity or something was what was that all about? Uh, well, there are some love scenes because he has more than one uh, romantic interlude in the film, mm -hmm. uh, but the main one of focus is with him and Florence Pugh's character. Yeah, and uh, that is gone over a little bit in detail there's a couple of scenes that are not for the children if you watch the actual uh, uh version that that christopher nolan is meant for you to see but again it deals with uh as far as the relationship between those two and the possible is he a communist or is he not a communist concept that people after he had already uh, helped construct the bomb individuals in the government were after him for because they were convinced he was a a true communist in every sense of the word uh, okay all right yeah sorry i, I didn't know and it like i just i saw some and it ties in but it's also what during those scenes that she reads aloud this the famous verbiage that if you've seen the footage of oppenheimer in real life the most commonly used footage is what he says as far as the him, the one man responsible for so much death the, I don't want to go over the actual phrase of it because it, it that part of it when it's read in during the movie is actually uh, that's when that's the reason why for the controversy. So okay, all right, yeah, yeah, I, was yeah. Just, I was I was curious about. I had seen headlines about, hadn't actually like and, read anything about it. And what she reads off of is makes it more controversial. Let's just put it that way. So. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I want to check it out when it comes out. I just haven't. I don't get a lot of time to go to the movies these days, so it'll definitely be something that I'll be uh, checking out from the old couch when it hits uh, streaming. We'll make sure you have the sound on because the sound design is very uh, good. There are times of sudden bursts of sound. I will tell people that, but if you really have a good sound system and are willing to go ahead and be know that going in, that there's sudden bursts of sound every now and then during the course of the film, uh, that it's going to be something well worth watching. It is definitely a, a look into a man that I only knew about as far as printed paper, uh, printed pages on my history book. And now I feel like I know him more because of what, what I saw. Okay. So verdict is that it is definitely worth watching. Where would you place it in your top films of the year so far? Well, that's almost an unfair question because there hasn't been anything great I've seen this year. There's nothing been, I'm saying like, that's a dang good film. Like by <laughs> this time, there's, there's been already a ton of stuff that I was going to throw on the best of pop culture. My best of pop culture is the list right now is not as large as I would like to see it, 
and this obviously will has to go to the top of it again very well made very well constructed tells a great narrative about the individual at large and it does i know you're not being into message films but his life and what happened after the detonation of the atomic bomb let him or led him to change a tune or change a narrative on how he wanted to go ahead and go through the rest of his life as far as the destructiveness of the atomic bomb and, and yeah. the the what the potential of an uh, arms race and atomic war could be and uh, he correlates that through the film so the message uh, does get out there uh, and i think it's a safe message that everybody doesn't mind hearing that yeah i don't think we want a nuclear war anytime soon oh definitely i mean I, I don't know what side the guy, you know, what side Oppenheimer was really on, but I mean, you can't, it, it's funny to think that the, a lot of these people, like they probably, the scientists involved thought that they were saving the world, but you know, they just didn't think about the consequences of what that could mean. Well, that's true. It, but it, the movie also portrays that it actually does, that, that some individuals do or did know what the potential consequences were. Yeah. And we're reminded of it during the film. So, yes, I, I highly recommend people going ahead and seeing Oppenheimer. It has just crossed $300 million domestically here at the box office and has grown over, or actually probably by the time you hear this, in and around $800 million worldwide, to give you an idea. Or at least by the end of next week. Let's just put it that way. So it has been a huge success for an R-rated film. It is something I think that people need to go ahead and check out to learn from a historical standpoint, adult issues, adult controversies aside. I think you need to go ahead if you want to better understand that period of history and the context behind it. I think you need to check out Oppenheimer. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm excited to get a chance to sit down and watch it. Absolutely. And with Dune part two. <laughs> <laughs> being moved to march i think that's probably an easy sign that uh it's going to win a lot of awards uh upcoming for the academy awards coming up next year so there really isn't much competition for it right now and i don't foresee a whole lot more there might be i'm not going to say shut it out especially the december films you know the december films uh, a lot of those award-winning movies or the more those wannabe award-winning movies come out but yeah, right now it's Oppenheimer's to lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, how's uh, how, how's it doing in the box office right now? What's it? What is it brought in? I just said, yeah, it's over three hundred million domestically and almost eight hundred million worldwide. It is one of the biggest R-rated movies of all time. Jeez, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So it's it's fourth place for the year right now. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's uh, it's doing a whale of job. I think it's R-rated, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if if not, it eh, yes, got, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I think that was a, a big piece of controversy too. Yeah. Is that it was his one of his first, uh, not his first, R- but R- yeah, it was a, yeah, it's an R rated movie, yeah, didn't slow it down. But then again, it didn't slow down the Joker when it became the first R rated movie to be over a billion dollars. I don't see it getting to a billion dollars, but you know, definitely could get into the high 800s by the time it's all said and done, so. A success. Poor Blue Beetle is still sitting at 81 million. It's not. Yeah, that's the next part of our conversation right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. I will say before we head to the break, my friend, yes, the Blue Beetle has 
disappointed terribly. Uh, you're right, my friend. Despite decent reviews and the fact that it was hopefully like you were talking about going to be a cultural event that you could possibly compare to Black Panther for the Latino community. Unfortunately, the people did not go see it. It has uh, fallen sharply in its next in its latest week, in its second week. Uh, and even Gran Turismo, which just came out over the weekend, that adaptation of the video game, that one may or may not sneak out a victory over Barbie, but I wouldn't call getting 17 million in its uh, domestically in its first weekend a hit by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, you could consider it a disappointment for a number one movie. Well, let's let's talk about this for a minute. I did not even know that Gran Turismo was coming out. It's like a, they, they they snuck it out into theaters. There was no like I, I remember seeing a couple trailers, but like there's been absolutely no marketing. Like you would not know if you did not you know get on the internet at least once a day, you would not know that this movie was even coming out. So that's I didn't know the the Dracula movie that was coming out a couple weeks ago. So I didn't know that one hit until I went into the theaters to watch Mission Impossible beforehand that uh the uh what was it the dracula movie what is it called the last voyage of the dementor wow. mm -hmm. yeah that one has failed miserably so yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh unfortunate right, and so gran turismo and blue beetle look like both are going to be uh, more box office failures so before we head to the break i want to ask you one last question my friend uh when it comes to this year I understand that year over year that the, the box office itself will be more than it was last year because everybody's you know starting to come back from COVID. Today, as we're talking on National Cinema Day, a lot of people are going to the theater for the first time because of the $4 movies than what that since you know before COVID. I get that. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's a successful year for the movies because there have been so many failures so many box office failures so even despite the overall numbers being more by the end of this year what is the way it looks like i still don't feel like it's been a successful year for the box office well we've only had 25 movies cross 100 million dollars so yeah i mean i would definitely but even the ones that have crossed 100 million dollars a lot of them are very underwhelming yeah absolutely but you know, this <laughs> might have been a good year for movies like that to come out. But yeah, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of things on here. Like, everyone expected big things from Indiana Jones. They didn't quite make it past 400 million. Transformers, this is what probably the first one that didn't even cross $500 million. Uh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Marvel's uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and, um, you know, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Well, they performed, you know, eh, they didn't quite get the oomph that the studio it, it did well for from. one week and then tanked tanked yeah. hard right after that right even like fast 10 like that surprises me too because that's like a that's a billion dollar franchise so yeah seeing Oppenheimer that just beat it so yeah yeah and it sounds like Oppenheimer deserves it though I mean the Oppenheimer is Chris Nolan makes makes films you know he makes films he doesn't make explosions he just makes films fast 10 is like a montage of explosions and race cars what are your thoughts out there on the box office battle this weekend and did you go ahead and celebrate national cinema day we'd love to hear your thoughts pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com 
for the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, my friend, before we go ahead and leave Gamescom, which I guess is now, I'm going to have to admit it, and I did, I think, last week on the PC Multiverse, the quintessential gaming event for the industry every year now, because as you know, E3, I think about ready. I think I'm about ready to dig dirt, dirt on E3 because it looks like E3 is not coming back anytime soon. So no, absolutely not. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to say Gamescom is the quintessential place, and I more more power to them. More power to them. It's you know I'm I'm just really sad as someone who has enjoyed E3 like you and I have uh, for so many years, but it looks like Gamescom is now the event for the gaming industry. The problem is from a domestic level, from a North American level, does it translate enough everything that happens in Cologne, Germany coming over here and translating it to a business sense over here? You, you know, does that all that news from there travel to over here to our consumers? No, I don't think so. I mean, this is not one like I I IGN keeps up with it, right? IGN GameSpot, yes. places like that, they keep up with it, but it's not something that really generates a lot of um, a lot of hype from people, you know, because mm-hmm. you already have all those summer gaming conferences. You have it take place in May and June. So by the time those are done, everyone's like, oh, OK, well, next year. And then no one really knows, like, what's going on at Gamescom. Maybe if it was something that took place in America, that might be a, you know, a different story. But, you know, who really knows? I personally like I have not been following it as much as I, you know, would like to but i haven't really seen anything spectacular coming out of it we've seen a new trailer for alan wake 2 we've seen some uh updates on you know what xbox is up to we saw an extended thing of uh starfield but other than that there's not really been any like big wow world premiere moments that's the problem i think that's something that i maybe the industry is gonna slowly start migrating over there as far as to understand its importance because you could have all these loose affiliated press conferences during the middle of June, my friend, but it just mm-hmm. seems like it's a little, it's, did it seem like it was a little scattershot to you during just, it wasn't organized. It was just like, okay, we need to do something around June just because we've always done something around June, but yeah. so, some, some, uh, what Nintendo did theirs in late May and then some others did theirs in June and, just like over the course of a few days and then, you know, like over a course of a couple of weeks, actually. And I don't know, it just seemed all scattershot. The industry, I think, needs to come together, needs to understand Gamescom is a great event attended by over 100,000 people in Germany. But I just don't think that it's going to be the event unless they make it the, the quintessential event. They make it more special and they make it that it's going to translate to everyone out there. But it's really going to be hard being at that location as a for for american consumers at least yeah yeah exactly and that's something you know e3 was huge because people were able to actually go to it but yeah like, and like i know it's not comes off like american elitism and i don't want it to want it to as such and i apologize for that i i just want to say that you know it's just 
I'm trying to think of the mindset of the American consumer. Do they really care for the most part what's going on overseas? Right. When it no, comes to the don't. gaming industry on that. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, no, they don't. And that's and that's unfortunate because there's a lot of great things at Gamescom. And that's a shame that Gamescom yeah. is 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 disliked that. And I'm hoping that the industry, because it doesn't have an E3 rally around it, because I'm I'm not sure I love this elusive affiliated stuff during June. I want a centralized platform during June if you're going that's going to be the case. And E3 should have been it. And E3 should be it each and every year. But since you don't have an E3, it sounds like you should go ahead and, and just bring more love to Gamescom. Maybe in turn it would bring more love here back to the States. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I you know, but I also I hear that Gamescom is one of like the biggest worldwide video game events out there so it's hard oh, to it's really not even say. close i mean they're they're well over a hundred thousand people attending that conference yeah right so it's hard Two to for say the public. yeah yeah so if it were brought to america you know and what what would actually like what would that do to the would it still be as big as it is yeah i hear you but i do want to go ahead and say once again that there was some good things that came out of what we saw with gamescom i mean obviously when you have so many uh games that were actually introduced that or shown off i should say shown off mortal kombat one you got to see a lot more of that you've got to see a lot more of like you said alawake 2 you got to see a little bit more of what we're going to talk about here on next week's show with starfield little nightmares 3 is something that was announced that yeah, i that thought was, was really cool was not yeah. expecting that to come out yeah so that's something uh, I think that people need to make aware of. I did not mention it on our Friday show. I wanted to save it for you and I. What were your thoughts on Little Nightmares 3? I think something it's it reminds me a little bit of what we saw with uh, some other games with those slight uh, puzzles. Uh, just It's not a platformer, but it, it really it, it reminds me of some of those games that we played that are very intriguing, but also very complex. Yeah, well, everyone goes to a platformer thinking that it's going to be easy, but platformers are like some of the most difficult games out there. Like Little Nightmares, you know, one and two were fun, but I, I you know, they weren't without their moments of frustration. Just like I went like into a Limbo game like, and Inside. Those are games right. I really well, try, but they're very hard to play. Yeah, and let's talk about Ori and the, and the Will the Blind the Wisp, Forest, right? Like Ori and the Blind Forest games. Like those are incredibly difficult you know they're they're beautiful and they're fun but you get stuck on those games like yes they are frustrating sometimes they are and it's it just seems to me like that that's going to be something that is going to be right up the alley so it'll look fantastic it might uh, play fantastic but still be very complex and hard for the average player to play that's what i'm worried about because inside limbo i absolutely enjoyed playing but I could never finish it because it was just so hard to complete. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that was another, like, Celeste was, like, a beautiful game, but that was another one that was, like, yeah, a, everything about the game is amazing, but there's just some parts that are so difficult to play. I couldn't agree with you more, my friend, but it is Gamescom, and before we head to the break, my friend, uh, I want to ask you this. Gamescom to me again. I know we were harsh earlier, and I was especially harsh. 
And I just think it comes from the fact that, again, we need to start worrying about something else other than E3 because I don't think there's any plans for E3 to come back unless I'm proven wrong, which I hope I am anytime soon. But I think the gaming industry is in a state of flux with the game prices going up, the game systems that are now, what, halfway or closing in on halfway to its life cycle. I think the industry needs to stop doing something that they're same old, same old, and needs to start doing something collective again to get, grasp the, the, not just the gamers, because you and I always get the news or the news hits us eventually. It's getting yeah. the average consumers out there to go ahead and, you know, whether it's America, Canada, Europe, worldwide, it's just about getting that average consumer to go ahead and understand what's good about the gaming world. Right, right. How are you going to keep people interested? And, you know, here's a big bummer, too, is that a lot of the new things that have been coming out, they're all part of franchises. Like, there's no new... I keep expecting, like, Sony or Xbox to drop a new IP that's going to be something that could carry, you know, those companies into the future five or six years, but you don't really see any of that. There's just a lot of people riding the coattails of what's already been. But what are your thoughts out there on what went on with Gamescom and what went on as far as the video game industry? Where do you see it going from here? Please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Well, my friend, one half hour down, one half hour to go right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is Josh the Great, Josh Peterson, along with me, Gerald Glasser. Thanks so much for watching this. Please go ahead and check out Josh's awesome site, Happy Hoarder, right there. The Happy Hoarder. He's the happiest hoarder. Yes. He's not happy unless you hoard what he's got. So you hoard his hoard at the Happy Hoarder, collectibles.com. Exactly. Are there any shows coming up for you? No, I'm trying to get into one called Giganticon out here in Colleen, but I haven't heard back yet. We might do Anime Frontier by Crunchyroll out in Fort Worth uh, in December, but uh, you know, nothing, nothing planned as of yet. I got to get that next show on the book here soon, though. Absolutely. No worries, but go ahead and check out what he's doing today at HappyHorderCollectibles.com. Follow him on social media at the Happy Hoarder. So you can get the latest notifications of where he's at with the Happy Hoarder right there for you. Speaking of anime, since you mentioned Crunchyroll and anime, One Piece, the live action version, is coming this week to Netflix. So I want to hear your thoughts on this, my friend. The last time they did a live action series, it was, how should I say it? I enjoyed it. I said on the show I liked it, but the hardcores and uh, the audience kind of dwindled down and kind of died down after after a few weeks on that on that previous effort that they tried to do. So, what are your thoughts on One Piece coming as a live action adaptation for Netflix? You know what's funny is like you would have thought that Cowboy Bebop had the same like cult following or not not cult following, but like the same amount of fans that loved that show, just like one piece does. But one piece is like, 
I don't know. It's like the difference between watching a Marvel and a DC film, right? Because One Piece fans are vast. There are so many of them out there. So I, if they mess this up, you know, if this is something that has Cowboy Bebop vibes to it, they're going to anger a lot of people. And I, I love that the cre- original creator of the show was involved this time around whereas the you know the creator of cowboy bebop was very like he was involved but not not as much so i like the idea that the original creator of the show was like it's not going out until i feel like it's ready to be released so that gives me some hope but man can you imagine like how much faith people will have in anime live adaptations if netflix screws us up I hear you, my friend, but with the way they've been making a generic action action picture after generic action flick after generic action flick lately that have really no substance. And yeah. I'm looking at you, Chris Hemsworth and Gal Gadot, in regards to it. You know, it just seems like that I don't hold much faith because you and I, around the pandemic and uh, even before that with Netflix, saw some really high quality films, whether they made them themselves internally or bought them and just to put them on their platform i was really impressed by that they have since leaned away from that and gone to just whatever they can to go ahead and garner views because they realize that critically adapted films don't always generate audiences although in this case oppenheimer did but there are other most indications like when you have independent films out there when you have critically acclaimed films they don't usually come running for it. So they've decided to go ahead and get the mindless action flicks that, that dominate the screen on Netflix. But I'm hoping that they'll go ahead and they'll learn their lessons from Cowboy Bebop, even though, again, I said I liked it and I enjoyed it and I had not watched the, the anime previously. I know that to the hardcores and to the audiences at large, their interest in it waned rather quickly. And that's the worst sign for Netflix. If you're not willing to go ahead and go through the entire series and watch it all the way through, that's a sign that that's not going to last. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like I, I didn't love Cowboy Bebop, but I didn't hate it either. Like I would have been excited. I was excited at the aspect of them carrying on a story. Like I thought the support characters were excellent in their roles. John Cho was you take it or leave it, but I thought the yeah. other characters were excellent, like, and I thought they deserved another chance at around Jet another Black season. And, uh, Faye Valentine, yeah, they were yes. they were great, but you know, I really liked the idea of like being able to see almost like what happens next. You know what 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 a sequel to Cowboy Bebop have been like because they covered a probably good eighty five percent of the anime in the show, so they would have been going into unexplored territory, and that would have been really cool. So I. It just makes me wonder, like, how can One Piece not end up doing the same thing? You know, how, how can it end up being not failing like Cowboy Bebop did? Because right now, there aren't really any good live anime adaptations out there that have really the goodwill of people. So this is a dangerous game that One Piece is playing. It is. It is. It's a big risk for Netflix. Uh and you know Netflix does not have the attention span to get some keep something going. I mean, when you're canceling Cobra Kai, and Cobra Kai still does huge numbers. Did they cancel Cobra Kai? They ended the, the last season will end be the end. They basically oh, said man. you're on your way out whether you like it or not. So that's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. 
So they don't have the attention span, you know, to take anything that's middling ratings or let something grow in the ratings because they just don't have the time for it. They're not going to put resources into it. It either gets the ratings, has people watching all the way through, or it doesn't and it's gone. That's so sad. It's such a sad commentary. Like put, to, it would be better to take your time on something and put something out that people like really love than to just keep launching out things that don't do so well. That's what Bloodhound is saying right there. It's the metrics are based off of attracting new subscribers. And that's true. It is. It's, it's just all they care about is who they have and who they're going to get. That's all. That's right there, my friend. And, you know, they're not they're not shying away from it. They're not telling you some one thing and then delivering another. They're telling you the way it is. That's the way they like, and that's the way they're going to deal with it going forward. Still, it's sad, and this is like where I understand why you know cable companies hate um, you know these these streaming companies because these cable companies going out of business for a lot of streaming uh, streaming networks that are just putting out garbage. This is true, but if the garbage is watched, is it truly garbage? That's the case. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but what are your thoughts out there on one piece please let us know your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also want to mention my friend another show that is also seeing its end but this one's been on for a long time so that's okay and that's archer a show that i have actually enjoyed over the years in recent years i've enjoyed it more i picked up the show later in its life cycle it's been a key member of the fx family for years over well over a decade now your thoughts on archer as it heads into its final season starting this week so i have not watched archer in years but i do love that they did a crossover episode with bob's burgers i i was actually a big fan of archer when it first came out but i, I think i just kind of like fell off the wagon much like i do with you know most animated comedies i don't hate it is actually really funny. Like I just stopped watching and it was like I'm South amazed. Park with me. I was huge in the South park. And then just over time, same thing with Simpsons, just over time. You just, yeah. Right. Right. And so like, I just want to say cheers to uh, staying on the air as long as they did. Like that's, that's, that's a feat in itself. So even if you're like, Oh yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. It's been on for more than 10 seasons. Like that's something that not a lot of shows can boast. 14 seasons yep it's just a great run for archer looking forward to seeing how it'll all end up will archer finally meet his demise we'll find out but if you have thoughts on archer we'd love to hear it popculturecosmos at yahoo.com please let us know about other shows that you want us to talk about and hopefully i get a chance sometime soon to talk to our tv expert don fobs hopefully she'll give us the lowdown on some stuff that she's watching sometime soon right here on the pop culture gospels but before we head to the break my friend wanted to go ahead and talk a little bit about what's coming up also as well when it concerns the video game world armor core 6 just came out that just came out this past friday and then also a few days before immortals of avian and when it comes yeah i saw to- I, I saw that sitting on the uh, shelves at walmart and that's the problem immortals of a- avian is sitting on yeah. the shelves of a lot of stores because right. it's looking like it's going to be another bomb. And and uh, we'll start with, uh, we'll go with Armor Core 6 later on here after the break. But I do want to hit Immortals of Avium now since you've touched on it. 
Uh, Mortals of Avium is a first-person shooter, but instead of using uh, guns and and knives, it uses uh, spells, a castery. It's a e-electronic arts game that has actually been, uh, I don't know if it was well, well promoted. Obviously, it wasn't well promoted enough. The thing, though, is, is that EA comes out within days with Madden and with this game, Immortals of Avium. So let me ask you this, my friend. When it comes to Immortals of Avium, why would you go ahead and promote it around the same time as your one of your marquee sports games? Because it just seems like you're you're devoting more of your attention to one over the other. Well, EA has, is notorious for putting showing that they don't like games or not don't like, but they don't really put a lot of care or thought into games that aren't sports games. So, you know, Mortals of Avium, while it looked cool and sounded cool in concept, the fact that they were willing to put it out against one of their like biggest games of the year just goes to show that they didn't put the, uh, they, they don't have faith in it. And that's what makes me not want to buy the game. Immortals of Avium actually, is, yeah, it got a 71 on Metacritic. So it's not bad. It's not like it's uh, not like Redfall. Redfall, which got a huge amount of backlash, was the game that was trashed as far as from a critical standpoint, and then obviously became a commercial failure for Xbox. This game is going to be a commercial failure, but probably will go down in history in the annals as far as, oh, you should have tried this game because it was okay. It wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but could have been could have been a pretty good game, but nobody ever tried it. Right, right. So... I don't know, and and maybe it'll pick up new life once it, you know, starts going on sale or makes it a Games Pass. But yeah, once it, it goes very... five dollars at Walmart, there we go. Everybody will pick up. I'll, I'll buy six. But no, I mean, it just it it's baffles me that EA is even a company that's in business anymore because they just they they keep saying like, hey, yeah, we we care, and you know, we're putting out Mass Effect and Dragon Age and things like that, but then. There's constant like news of, of teams being shuffled, layoffs happening, uh, creative directors leaving. I'm surprised that they're even in the video game business anymore because they just keep on. It, it's just been nothing but, uh, you know, but dark clouds over their heads. It's a shame, though, that this game from a seemingly graphical standpoint looks pretty good. Uh, mm -hmm. As far as in a play, seemingly pretty good. It seems to be, I saw even an 8 out of 10 by IGN on it, like it's a decent game. But we'll never really get to try it because a lot of people have already just sent it to an early grave because of the fact that it has just not been so received by the commercial audience out there. So unfortunately, Immortals of Avium looks like it's not going to be so immortal unless you think it's going to be immortal for altogether different reasons. So... Unfortunately, Electronic Arts badly mismanaged this one again. It's another game. You know what it reminds me of, my friend? It reminds me of a previous Bioware game, Anthem. Anthem, that's right. That game looked so cool when it was coming out. And then, boom, they just uh, they mismanaged it. And now it's not cool. Bloodhand, it does look really good. It, and I, I really am sad for the team there because they have something that looks really good. Seems to play very well, but just doesn't have enough substance to grab an audience. And unfortunately, the fact that it came out right after EA's marquee game in Madden shows that EA didn't have much time to go ahead and spend on advertising it. And that's just a shame for it. So it was pretty much doomed to failure for the get-go. 
Well, what are your thoughts on Immortals of Avium? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. Well, my friend, before we head on out, Armored Core 6. Some, we don't talk about mech games very much here on this program, but Armored Core 6... They don't release huh? a lot of mech games. They don't. They don't put out a lot of good mech games. The 360 era, full of amazing mech games, but we don't really see those anymore. What's the one that came with the actual control, the huge uh, actual system that comes along with it that you can plug into the Xbox? It's Chrome Hounds, wasn't it? No, I think it was another one. I'll check. I'll look it up right now. But Armor Core Six came out this past weekend. Uh, so far, the reception seems to be a little bit stronger than Immortals of Avium. Not like, of course, Baldur's Gate 3, which many people are still playing, and for good reasons, because it's a well over 100-hour game. But your thoughts, though, on Armor Court 6, could it be something that could spice back up the Mech Warrior genre? I hope so. I actually really enjoy the Armored Core franchise. You know, it's been so long since I've sat down to play one, but this one actually looks really good, and... It looks like they're trying to make it more than like your typical mech game. And I don't know. Do you remember Chrome Hounds on the Xbox 360? Like that was that was fun. Like you spent hours, you know, customizing your mech, going to war with people. So Armored Core, the last Armored Core game I played was on the 360. But it's um, Steel Battalion, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. That came with the huge control with all the different flight sticks and things of that nature that that's the actual yeah. 250 300 at the time all in one game right there so bloodhound saying it's the first armored core game in 10 years so it's possible the last armored core game i played was you know the last armored core game that came out was the one on the 360 i don't remember but you know this game actually it looks it looks fun it looks really good i've as soon as i get a you know chance to uh as soon as i finish final fantasy 16 i'll probably you know check this one out because i have been pretty excited about it bloodhound also makes a good point in regards to titanfall which could have revolutionized the mech genre and it, it was it was just basically very solid multiplayer just, just sensationalized a lot of, as far as the base jumping and things of that nature as far mm. as the wall jumping as far as how that was correlated the, as far as in and out of the mech suit just really something that was transformed multiplaying gaming. And I, I think that it just was not, again, stop me if you haven't heard this in the past 15 minutes, Electronic Arts and the way it lacked of support for this game and this IP was part of the reason for its downfall. Titanfall was great. Like that was a game that could have carried on into multiple sequels, but yeah, they just kind of like let it die. And I don't, I think that that was not, that was not a great idea on their part. No, they it migrated what somewhere loosely into Apex Legends that has actually yeah, grown a life of its own. It, yeah, yeah. And that was and you know, again, like Titanfall 2, 
that was around the time the when that came out was about on the time they were talking about doing all those uh battle royale games was the new flavor of the week so i guess i can see why that evolved into uh apex legends but still like if they were to bring out a titanfall 3 and actually put some time and effort into it i think that it would probably sell pretty well so i ask you my friend could armor core 6 be something that lasts and stays with an audience uh, or is it just going to get swept under by the upcoming games like starfield of course call of duty of course everything that you're going to see for the holiday season is fire as a rubicon gonna be unfortunately burnt to a crisp by the fires of rubicon i don't think so i think it, it has come out well enough ahead of you know starfield that it will be uh, it. People who want to play it on day one will have the opportunity to sit there and play it. And it's close enough to the holidays to where, like, if it goes on sale, people will still be willing to pick it up and throw it into that back catalog and get it eventually. I think it's in a good place right now. If it came out like the week before Starfield, that might be a whole different story. Okay. Uh, well, we'll see. Again, uh, I'm hoping for the best of success for it. It's actually garnered right around an 80, 84. I'm sorry, 84 on Metacritic. So that's a really solid score, a really solid score for a really good game. A lot of people are, are being receptive to it. So what are your thoughts out there on Armored Core 6, The Fires of Rubicon? Are you willing to go back into the realm of mech and mech warriors with this game? Or are you going to go ahead and check out something else or wait for Starfield? Please let me know your thoughts out there. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, before we head on out, one of the things that was shown off in more extensive detail at this past Gamescom was the PlayStation Portal. And I wanted to have a little bit of conversation with you on it. Uh, Melinda will speak glowingly of it, but she just as soon as she figured out, you know, she and I were talking back and forth about what it was and what it's designed to do. Your thoughts on the PlayStation Portable, this, this new streamer as i was trying to go ahead and say the playstation portal uh, it's it's not exactly its own system it's just like a conduit for what you're playing on the ps5 you know i think it's cool and i think the like the the idea and concept of it's cool but i like the xbox you know what xbox has done more because you don't have to buy a special peripheral for it you can just plug in your phone to your controller so uh, the idea of having to go and buy, you know, whatever this thing is for the, the PS5, I, it it seems like Sony's trying to get money, whereas they could have just, you know, created an app for the phone, much like Microsoft has. And, you know, more people would be able to afford what could be something really cool. Okay, fair enough. So I just think when it comes to what we're seeing with that, with the PlayStation Portal, I just... It kind of makes me sad, though, my friend, uh, because, again, I, as someone who had the Vita, who enjoyed the Vita, who loved his Vita, but realized there was really nowhere to go with Vita because it just wasn't getting the third party support or even the first party support. It's just a theme with PlayStation. I, I you love I love my PlayStation 4. Uh, I'm pretty sure when I get a PS5, I'm going to love my PS5. The system right. part is it's not the question, but it's all these peripherals that they've had over the years, even to the point where it's PSVR 1 and PSVR 2. They just don't have patience in letting all those things go out. The only thing they've ever had patience on as far as a peripheral, not even their cellular phones, 
The only thing they've ever had is a PSP as something that they've had as a peripheral that really, really, absolutely, they've stood 100% behind. Yeah, Bloodhound is, you know, made a good point. Waiting for parents to buy this thing for Christmas for kids who don't have a PS5. Like that, that probably will happen, you know. <laughs> but I I don't know, man. Like I, you know, I I owned a PSP. I owned a PSP Go. I didn't get the Vita. Um, although I did hear great things. I probably, you know, if I ever find one, I'll probably pick it up. But it's Sony's uh, I don't know it's their their attempts at making handheld game hand, handheld peripherals gaming period yeah right exactly and so well the 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 idea like i said the idea is really cool but there's like the one there's no one they're stupid expensive there's no not really a lot of follow-through and eventually they just like oh well you know not enough people are doing this anymore so let's just shut shut it down you know psvr2 so is going to be a failure when all is said and done because it came out to tepid reviews tepid support and a huge price tag that nobody wants to pay right so who's to say that you know you're gonna buy this um you know this peripheral piece and you're gonna be like oh cool i can stream my playstation from you know wherever and then but it's all connected to sony's network and sony goes oh you know five years from now not enough people really play with this anymore so we're gonna shut it down so you bought a two three hundred dollar piece of hardware and you're just at the mercy of whether or not Sony feels like keeping the lights turned on. Cause the Vita, that's what it was supposed to do as well. It could, along with playing its own games, it could also stream what you were playing on the PS four. Right. So that's Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It just seems like it's, it's something that it should have been a little bit more thought out before they went ahead and did it. I mean, understand I wanted, they wanted to be a Nintendo switch killer, but I just don't see something with the price tag that they're still attaching to it being something that's going to be, you know, bought by leaps and bounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anything will ever be a Nintendo Switch killer, but this is not like a great time to get into that market because look at the, there's a Steam Deck. Aces has their thing coming out or I don't know, it might already What's the be the Rogue out? Ally? The Rogue Ally is the one that a lot of people use now. Yeah, right. So you have all these other like options for on-the-go gaming where you don't actually have to be, uh, you know, tied to a PS5 console. You can just kind of play games from a marketplace. So I, I don't know. This like, like I said, this in concept sounds cool, but I just I don't think it's going to do. Uh, it's going to be as successful as Sony probably thinks it's going to be. So what are your thoughts out there on what's going on with this new peripheral that Sony has in mind to go ahead and deliver once again? It is the PlayStation Portal. Are you interested in it, or do you think this is just going to be another one of the many in a long line of PlayStation peripherals that PlayStation will just sweep under the rug and just let it gather dust? Please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode, but before we head on out, a couple of things I want to ask you about the Happy Hoarder. I mean, as we get into the holiday season, I know you said you're going to get a lot more stuff in. You're still waiting on some more stuff. And Bloodhound said right there, it'll be another footnote in Sony history. Absolutely. That's yeah, what exactly. I think as well. Yeah. And, and well said, Bloodhound. Before we head on out, though, my friend, uh, I know that we talked to you. You're, you're trying to go ahead and get more things in and you've, you've had some discussions and all that, but... What is selling right now at your store? What is hot in the collectible world before we head on out? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, so we just did Colossal Con last weekend and we, our main like items that we sold have been Funko Pops and Pokemon cards. So, oh, Magic the, okay. Trading cards are huge right now. We got Magic the Gathering. It's just, I can't even hang on to a box of those. They're just flying off the table as fast as I get them. Uh, Pokemon cards are still really big. Everyone's trying to get the Sword and Shield stuff before they stop, um, you know, the, 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 the premium boxes stop getting sent off to stores and you can't get them anymore. Uh, I have a lot of people wanting to pick up what's left of like my XY packs, which are cards from 2016. And, you know, they're paying premium for them. Uh, and Yu-Gi-Oh cards are actually pretty hot right now. So I don't know trading cards are huge. All, all types of trading cards are huge. And as far as Funko pops go, everyone wants anime pops. They want demon slayer attack on Titan dragon ball i haven't really had a lot of luck selling you know most of the uh my hero academia pops that we've got but like people love the those, those big three you know naruto demon slayer dragon ball anything like that's going and power ranger toys are big sellers for us go go power rangers my friend yeah uh, last thing before we go my friend i haven't told you this and i wanted to tell you on the air it's funny our last show that we did together Remember, it was actually we talked about Bruce Lee and the 50th anniversary of his last movie uh, film made he made in full. We talked about Barbie and Oppenheimer, a little bit of that in the box office and all that. Just a normal show that you and I did. And it's funny because, you know, the 50th anniversary, Enter the Dragon and all that. But a day later, I got this notice from YouTube saying that our video was harmful and dangerous with a whole bunch of reasons why that it could be the case as far as what we're promoting or something like that as far as really? to the internet. And they took it down. They took it down. So I had to go ahead and say, okay, what's your appeal process? I'm just said appeal. I don't know why you're doing this. We just talked about pop culture like we have since 2016. Can you really let me know why and what exactly was wrong so I don't do it again? They looked at it. And gave me word next day. <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> there wasn't actually anything wrong with your video. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Yes. So, you know, it's just, yeah. Please. I don't know what was harmful and dangerous about this show. But hopefully this won't be taken down as well. So, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I said Facebook and 30 radio stations and podcast outlets worldwide. Played the show with no problems. What did YouTube see differently? I don't even know. Maybe it's a keyword. Key oh, it might have been. I mean, do we, do we talk about Oppenheimer and atomic bombs or? We did on this show. Yeah. So... Uh oh. Uh oh. But my gosh, how many Oppenheimer videos are there out there? There are probably tons. So I don't know about that. I I just honestly I don't know. So YouTube, I'm still trying to figure out. It's funny because I we had 1,200. Uh, followers on the Lakers fast break one day, and then we go back to 954 at the next. So still trying to figure out how the YouTube life is, but it's very interesting indeed. So one day yeah. it is, and one day it isn't. So. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, YouTube flags everything, though. I mean, that's kind of like their, their algorithms are great, but they also make a lot of errors. It's true. I told my wife to stop by the Google office and, and just say thank you for letting me back on the air with the pop culture cosmos. Indeed. Right. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. 
It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great